0: All right, good evening, guys. Good to see everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1? We are working our way through 2 Peter. We uh, are in chapter 1 because I was gone for a couple weeks on vacation. Let's just back up. I'm not going to start all over again. We'll just read. All right, not start over, but we'll read from verse 1 where it says, Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here's where we start tonight, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. In the first few verses of chapter 1, Peter talks about the grace and the divine power of God that saved us in other words imparted spiritual life to us through his holy spirit he then proceeds to tell us that not only has god given us spiritual life through the new birth he further has deposited into us his divine nature and that would be of course uh, in accord with what the new testament says that we are born of god we are his children right and uh when we were born of him we received his nature Now when we were born into this world physically we were born of Adam and when we were born of Adam the Bible says we inherited or we received his fallen nature and that's why we by nature were the enemies of God. Uh, The fallen nature which we inherited from Adam uh, was passed down from him to us and uh, that nature that wants to live in rebellion against God. Now When we accepted christ we were born of god and became the children of god and from god we received his divine nature now as we studied last time by virtue of the new birth and the holy spirit living inside of us supplying us with his divine power listen peter said we have all that is necessary everything we need to live a life of godliness you see once we were born of god and had become his sons and daughters that was the end <laughs> uh you know the the end wasn't to save us that was just the beginning some people think you know the be all end all of their christianity is when they got saved in fact that's you know sometimes you'll hear him say that all i want to do is go to heaven yeah but i don't even want to grow i just want to go to heaven yeah but what about the gifts of the spirit and being used by god i just want to go to heaven. They think that was the end. They think that was the whole point. No, that was what God had to do to continue the work. That was the starting point. But he has a lot of work he wants to do in us and then through us from that point, obviously. Uh, it's, It's like a physical birth in a sense. When a child is born into this world physically, that's not the end, right, moms, especially? That's just the beginning, all right? That's when the hard work starts, you know, labor excluded, right, Uh, you know, I'm walking on touchy ground here, because, you know, a guy talking about childbirth, but um, that's kind of how it is, we're spiritual uh, infants uh, when we were born of the Spirit, and uh, that was the starting point, and from that point on, we are commanded in Scripture to grow in the Christian life, but guys, listen, it doesn't happen automatically, it doesn't happen automatically it becomes, listen, our responsibility to, as Peter said in verse 5, give all diligence. That is directed at us. Give all diligence to our walk with the Lord. Look, the goal of our Christian life is to make us more and more into the image of Christ. Second Corinthians 3.18, we've talked about this. Uh, when God saved us, His whole purpose was to make us more and more like his son. But for that to happen, listen, we must desire it, surrender to it, and be determined by grace, God's grace, to live it. As someone has said, salvation is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification, well, that's the work of a lifetime. This is only possible, guys, our maturity, our growing up, our becoming like Jesus it's only possible through, listen, a joint partnership and mutual cooperation between us and God's Spirit consisting of my will, surrender, and his power. This is the same basic admonition that Paul exhorted the Philippians with when he said, and you have to turn there, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember what Paul says: said? He said, work out your own salvation. Work it out. He didn't say work towards your own salvation. He said, you have it, now work it out. In other words, let everything that God has done inside come working its way outside, the way of fruit and growth and you know ministry, everything God wants to do, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God, listen, who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see the partnership there? God does all the work. Jesus did all the work required for salvation. Once we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he doesn't give us a pass where we do nothing. And he does all of it. He could. He's God. But no, it's a partnership in the sense that I have to be willing. I have to desire to be what God wants for my life, which is to be like Jesus. And the more I want that and the more I submit to it and do what I'm supposed to do, which be in church, in the fellowship with the saints, be in the word of God, prayer, and and so on. When I do what I'm called to do, then God responds by doing what only he can do. Supply the growth and the power to be all that he wants us to be. Listen, even after conversion, we still have a free will. We had one before we got saved, which we exercised at one point to receive Christ. But even after we've received Christ, we still maintain our free will, and we can exercise it to live carnally, which is the self-willed life. There are carnal Christians. Some people don't believe that. Uh, They just think they're unsaved. Well, I think there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians who really aren't saved. But if you study 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, Paul talks about three different groups. He talks about the natural man. He talks about the spiritual man. And then in chapter 3, he talks about the carnal man. The natural man, that's unbelievers. The spiritual man, spirit-filled, on-fire believers. The carnal man, the carnal person is a Christian. And he talks, he calls them brethren. He says they had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in in their churches. God doesn't give spiritual gifts to unbelievers. So... There, there are carnal Christians. These are those that kind of are represented by the children of Israel who once in Egypt, Egypt represents the world. We were all in Egypt at one time, unbelievers. Then God brought us out with a mighty out, Moses, right? The, the great deliverer. Uh, then took him to the Red Sea as God parted. That was Paul said that's a so was a sign of, of baptism. And then led him into the wilderness. Now, it was an, only an eleven day journey from Mount. Horeb, Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, the border of the promised land. God did not want, he only brought them out into the wilderness for a short time, that was his, his purpose, short time to propose the covenant with them, you know, that they were going to be faithful to him, and to give Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle and the priesthood and all that. But then God's plan was to lead them right into the promised land. Of course, what should have taken basically 11 days wound up being a 38, 40 year death march why because of unbelief paul makes a big deal out of this i think in 1 corinthians six where he talks about how it was unbelief that kept them out of the promised land it wasn't god's fault it wasn't that god didn't want to bring them into the promised land what does that represent life of the spirit victory power fruitfulness everything that god desires for his people once they receive christ sure we get saved we we're carnal we're brand new babes God doesn't want us to remain carnal and babes in Christ for any length of time. I have known Christians who have gotten saved, and within a matter of a couple months, they were already pretty solid. You know why? Because they came to church, and they devoured the word, and they were getting close to God every chance they got, and God was pouring into them everything they needed to grow, and they were growing like crazy. Then I've seen people who have been Christians for 30 years. We'll talk about them tonight briefly. And they haven't grown at all. I was on the radio uh, the other day, Monday night, and we were talking about this. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, sometimes you'll talk to somebody about the Lord, because, you know, it's obviously not, they're not, their walk is not where it should be. So you, you love them. You want to kind of challenge them a little bit. But when you do, often, if they've uh, been Christians for a long time, they'll throw it back and you. say, Wait, wait, wait. Uh, I've been a Christian 25 years. You're going to tell me? And I like to tell them, no, you've been a Christian one year 25 times. You haven't really grown past the first year of your walk. You're still very carnal and immature. There's a lot of Christians, and this is not God's will. They come out of Egypt and they wander in the wilderness all their lives, the spiritual wilderness of unbelief, carnality, can't really let go of the old life. They, they, you know, in the wilderness, what, ha- what did Israel always want to do? Want to go back to egypt didn't they kept looking back at all the wonderful condiments leeks onions garlic you know all that stuff that they left behind forget about what god had in store for them which was the promised land a life of victory power fruitfulness i mean wow everything god had promised was waiting for them but most of them died in the wilderness like a lot of christians who never enter into the life of the spirit they're saved but very carnal, and they don't seem to be able to get past it. It's because I don't think they really want to. They're afraid to walk by faith, or they love the world too much still to let go of it completely. It's sad. It's sad. And uh, the New Testament has a lot to say about this kind of stopping short and not going all the way. This is a joint partnership. God will not make us holy against our will or without our involvement. Um, we can either, as I just said, live carnally the self-willed life or obediently to the will of God for our lives. That's the choices once we get saved. And, uh, but God won't force himself on us. There must be desire, determination, and discipline on our part if we're going to grow in our walk with Jesus. Now, of course, it all starts with saving faith with saving faith which brings the new birth but when peter says we need then i should say peter said we need and he's talking to christians and so he's he doesn't say well you know you got to have faith you need faith no they have faith he knows that they have saving faith uh that they accepted christ he says now you need to add to that that was the starting point that's what got you born again uh, children of god but now you got to add to that it's not the end and he lists seven characteristics or seven virtues uh, that we need to add to our initial saving faith if we're going to be all that God wants us to be. Let's read it, verses 5 to 7. So he said in the middle of verse 5, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, Numerous commentators, as I was going through this and studying it, numerous commentators uh, were quick to point out that we are not to think of these characteristics, these seven characteristics as we'll say seven rungs on a ladder that allow us to climb higher in our relationship with Jesus, one rung at a time, or seven stages of development that we pass through on our way to Christ-likeness The word add there in the Greek doesn't mean to add one at a time or to add one on top of another and then another and then another. The Greek word really means to supply generously. Supply generously. In other words, guys, we are not to limit the growth of these virtues in our lives, but we are to continue drawing close to Jesus every day because as we do, listen, these graces will grow and develop simultaneously and almost naturally as our walk with jesus grows and matures like a branch connected to the tree if it's a fruit-bearing tree that branch will produce fruit naturally it just happens by virtue of the fact that the branch is connected to the tree it's almost as if peter and let me just come at this from a different direction We look at this and say, you know, we need to add. What actually the Greek is saying, don't hinder. Don't hinder, okay? Supply generously. How do I do that? By not hindering. God has poured into us everything, and and if we just stay close to him, it'll, it'll overflow. David said, my cup runs over. And Jesus said that when the Spirit of God comes inside a believer, he comes gushing forth with torrents of living water. It's not the nature of our God to just fill us a little bit or even to the rim of the cup. It's his desire to pour into us so much it overflows, and the idea is, overflows on those around us. We can restrict that. We can hinder that. And that's what Peter is saying not to do. And how do I restrict it? Through carnality, unbelief, laziness, staying away from the fellowship of the saints, not reading the word of God every day, that kind of thing we can hinder those are our responsibilities don't get in the way peter is saying you've been connected to the lord jesus by the holy spirit when you got saved now just stay out of the way do what you're supposed to do and everything god wants to do in and through you will just come gushing forth but be careful because we can mess it up in that regard talking about it's like fruit being born from a branch attached to a tree uh it's very much like the fruit of the spirit and and guys it's not fruits of the spirit is it? It is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talked about in Galatians 5, 22 and 3, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, all of these grow simultaneously in our lives as a single fruit, all of them together, a single fruit that uh, grow as we grow in Christ. Not one at a time, it's not, you know, love, joy, peace. You know, it's okay. I got the love. Now I gotta, I gotta get the peace. You know, and you know that's how Christians look at that at, at times. Just draw close to Jesus, and the fruit, singular, which is made up of the love, joy, peace, long suffering, all of that, will grow in your life naturally as you just stay connected to Jesus. But listen one more time for any fruit of the spirit or quality of godliness to grow in the christian's life we must be diligent to pursue godliness and actually what we're saying is we must be diligent to pursue god and people say well it's so bad today how can we really be godly in a world like this i'm not saying it's easy in fact it's a supernatural life but i think of daniel who found himself in babylon babylon at that time was the most wicked kingdom on the face of the earth. It was the absolute capital of occult worship. It was so bad, it became synonymous with evil and occultism throughout the rest of the scriptures, especially in Revelation. And Daniel, as a young teenager, found himself with his three buddies in Babylon. Now, he could have succumbed to Babylon's charms, He could have said, well, I'm 700 miles away from Jerusalem. I mean, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Babylon, you know, I mean, God can't expect me to live for him here like I would in Jerusalem. Did he say that? Did he feel that way? What did he say? What does it say about Daniel? He purposed in his heart. He wasn't going to be defiled by Babylon. Guys, we are in the world. We can't help that. This is where God has us. Daniel couldn't help being in Babylon. That's where God had him. But he certainly could keep Babylon from getting into him. You know, we're in the world. That's where God has us. We can't help that, but we can certainly help the world getting into us. As we have said many times, there's an old saying, it's okay for the ship to be in the sea, but watch out when the sea gets into the ship. And it's okay for a Christian to be in the world, but watch out when the world gets into the Christian, right? Right? in fact let me just say this as we talked about salvation being the miracle of a moment and sanctification being the work of a lifetime it didn't take the lord too much energy he's god right to get them out of egypt you know that took place relatively quickly it took many 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 years after that to get egypt out of them you want to get the world out of your heart you want to get the world out of your mind then fill your mind with the Word of God. Don't be conformed any longer to this world's way of thinking, but be transformed, Paul said, by the renewing of your mind. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Stay around God's people. Busy yourself with the work of the kingdom. You go on the offense, all right? Too many Christians are playing defense. They're backing up, backing up, you know, because Satan's on the move. Don't, don't play defense. The best defense against the devil is a good, strong offense. Go on the offensive draw close to Jesus, put on the armor every day, take up the sword of the Spirit, Uh, make sure you're doing the work of God and walking in the will of God. And believe me when I tell you, you will have victory and you will be what God wants you to be. This is not going to happen on accident. We don't walk with God on accident. We have to walk with God on purpose, like Daniel. He purposed in his heart. We got to pursue God if we're going to be godly, godlike. And so with that in mind, Peter continues. In verse 5, he said, add. In the Greek, it's an imperative. Imperative in the Greek means a command. This is not something he said, hey, think about it. Think about it and get back to me. This is a command. Add. Add to your faith virtue. The Greek word translated virtue means something, listen, something that pleases God. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.9, the word is translated praises praises. The word basically means excellence, but really moral excellence is the idea or goodness of action. Moral excellence, goodness of action. Look, when God saved us, as we have already said, his goal was to make us godly. That's just a word that means godlike, uh, like God, uh, having the quality of likeness. So when we live lives of moral excellence, when we live godly lives well, we are fulfilling our purpose as his children, and listen, that pleases him. It praises him. And we would paraphrase what Peter is saying here. We, we would probably say, to the faith that saved you, add a life that praises God. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? If we meditate on that, which is good and holy and praiseworthy and all these things, if you keep meditating on these kinds of things, godly things, well, the devil won't be able to mess with your head. He loves to play mind games. In fact, Paul said we're not ignorant of his devices. The Greek means mind games. Do you realize that spiritual warfare, first and foremost, is a battle for control of the way you think? And again, that's why Paul said when you get saved, immediately you need to, you've been brainwashed by the devil all your life. Get into the word. Get all that, you know, all that junk, push it out by reprogramming yourself with the word of God. Uh, the way you're thinking is going to produce godly living. As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. So the first thing is add to your saving faith. Okay, you're born again. Now add to that, first of all, a life that is virtuous. That pleases God, that, that make that your goal. A life that is a, a living praise to God. Pastor, author, and commentator Warren Worsby put it well when he said, and I quote, the first quality of character Peter listed was virtue. We met this word in Second Peter chapter one, verse three, and it basically means excellence. To the Greek philosophers it meant the fulfillment of a thing. When anything in nature fulfills its purpose, that is virtue virtue excellent the the land that produces crops is excellent because it is fulfilling its purpose the tool that works correctly is excellent because it is doing what a tool is supposed to do a christian is supposed to glorify god because he has god's nature within so when he does this he shows excellence because he or she is fulfilling the purpose their purpose in life true virtue in the christian life is not listen polishing human qualities no matter how fine they may be but producing divine qualities that make the person more like jesus christ end quote i don't have to tell you guys we are living at a time when even in our culture is so profound that even christians are succumbing to the darkness and not living lives of moral excellence of course, when you put gray next to black, morally speaking, the gray looks almost white, doesn't it? Righteous by contrast. I love Vance Havner. If you've ever gotten a chance to go online and listen to some of his teaching, he's a joy. He's with the Lord. Uh, old Baptist preacher, Vance Havner. He has some very, I think, important comments on this idea. He said, and I quote, We are living in the dark. We were born into it, and it was born in us. We were children of darkness at one time, but when we received the gospel, we became children of light. At that point, the darkness inside us was replaced with light, but we found ourselves still living in the moral and spiritual darkness of this world, which is all around us. We are living at the close of an age that is dominated by the prince and the powers of darkness. A world where men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But the night is far spent, the day of Christ's return is at hand. And yet it's always black as before the dawn. The darkness has never been more pervasive and persuasive in my lifetime than it is today in our nation. And this is going back a few years. okay. Uh, not only do we live in the darkest Christians, we've gotten used to the dark, he says. We've all had the experience of walking into a very dark room where all we could see was blackness. But after a few seconds, our eyes adjusted, and we got used to the dark. This has happened to many Christians spiritually and morally. We are all experiencing a slow, subtle, and sinister brainwashing process that is gradually desensitizing us to the darkness. Little by little, sin is being made to look less and less sinful, until the light that is in us is darkness, and as Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. The result is we no longer hate evil. We don't abhor it. We've gotten used to the dark, period. End quote. Of course, he goes on to tell us what we need in our nation's revival, and I totally agree with that. But guys... This is not, I repeat, not the kind of life that honors God, pleases God, or praises God. Carnality, worldliness, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So like Peter, I want to admonish you to your faith, add virtue. You got to want it. You got to pursue it, all right? And then he goes on, verse 5, and to virtue, add knowledge, knowledge. Now, the word Peter used here for knowledge is an intellectual knowledge that comes through the study of something so as to become proficient in that subject or in that field of study. And I don't think it's any mystery what Peter is talking about. He's telling us that we must be students of God's Word. He's already talked about that in his first epistle, and we'll continue to talk about it in this epistle. But he's telling us to your virtue, add knowledge, a knowledge that comes, can only come through a systematic and consistent study of the Word of God, because only then, guys, are we going to be able, through the power of the Spirit, to live the lives God wants us to live, so that we can become all that God wants us to be. And I think of Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so if Peter's talking about lives of virtue, lives of godliness, of course he's going to say it ain't going to happen without you filling your mind with the Word of God. That's just where it has to go. In fact, guys, interesting, this Greek word means not just a little knowledge. Oh my goodness, how, how many Christians, you know, if they would eat physically the way they eat spiritually, they would have been dead a long time ago. I mean, a lot of Christians, their whole consumption is reading maybe uh a verse every day well i'm not putting that down it's better than reading no verse a day but but that's not serious feeding yourself the word of god okay and uh, the greek word the one that peter uses here is a word that means full knowledge as in maturity knowledge that brings maturity because you are really filling your mind with this knowledge of god's word Uh, the word could also be translated knowledge that is growing and i think that's probably the one I gravitate to because the Word of God is so, it's like an ocean. I mean, you're never going to be able to, you know, to take in all of it. We're going to spend eternity probably uh, studying God's Word. Jesus, of course, if you're doing the Bible studies, won't that be awesome? Like he did with the uh, the road to Emmaus with the two disciples in Luke 24. Gave him a whole Old Testament Bible study in a, wow, he gave the whole Old Testament Bible study in a couple hours. It takes me, you know, years to get through a few verses, but uh, he can do anything, all right? But our knowledge is always going to be growing as long as we keep wanting to learn. This was so important, guys, to Peter that he devotes the rest of chapter 1 to it and then closes his epistle with the admonition in chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew this was the key. This was the key. Drawing close to Jesus, fellowshipping with Jesus, which the Word of God, well, Jesus is the Word. You want to get close to Jesus, get into the Word. Paul admonished Christians in much the same way when he admonished us in 2 Timothy 2.15. He said, be diligent, and the King James translates that you know, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Setting a course right down the middle, staying away from the extremes and the weirdness. And boys, is there a lot of that in the church today, isn't there? My pastor used to like to say, you will often, if not always, find that the truth lies in the middle of the two extremes. I just want to set my course right down the middle. I'm old fashioned that way. In fact, I really think I was born 50 years too late. Most of the preachers I feel comfortable hanging out with died a long time ago. This is just the heart God has given me. I mean, I love to get into the Word. I love to teach it verse by verse. I love to dig out all the little nuances and things. And today, a lot of folks don't like that. They just want to get, you know, just give me an overview. Just, you know, and non not wrong with overview studies, but at one point, don't you want to go a little deeper? Okay. But um, a command, hey, study God's word, that you might be approved to God. Someone who does not need to be ashamed, I would imagine on the day of judgment when we receive our rewards. Someone said years ago, they were challenging me because they thought we were too biblical. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, the the idea was that we spent too much time. Uh, you know, digging in the word, and, and so on and so forth, right? And I said, you know, I could be wrong. I don't think so. When I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think I'm going to hear him say, Phil, your big problem was you spent too much time in my word. <laughs> I like to think he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean... I know one thing. I, I am by no means a perfect Christian, but I love God's word. I believe it is the word of God in its entirety. And, I, you know, as Paul said, look, if we seek to please men, we're no longer servants of Christ. My goal is not to please people. It's just to, to feed them and, and to build strong disciples. And if this church is too much and some people think it's just too much, well, then you have to find another church. We're not going to change for you, though. This is who we are. We're a teaching church, Right. Look, there's nothing worse, in my mind, than a Christian who has not studied God's Word faithfully. And there's a lot of them out there. And so consequently, they hardly know anything with regard to their faith. You don't have to turn to this. Let me read to you Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14, because the writer says exactly this on this topic. He said, you have been been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others God's word. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature who through training themselves by using the word, not just hearing it, but applying it is the idea. That's how we really grow. I mean, was it John or James who said, you know, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers. you got to apply what you, you, because that's the only way you're going to grow. That's what the writer here is saying, okay? You know, solid food is for those who are mature in their faith. How did they get mature? Because they trained themselves to know right and wrong by applying God's word. And we're not just talking about knowing right from wrong in the sense of do you steal or not steal? Do you murder or not murder? I mean, that's pretty obvious. We're talking about a spirit-filled person who knows God's Word and can make decisions based on what God has said in His Word. They understand certain things, certain principles. They know it's not about, bottom line, how much money the job is going to pay me. It's about how many opportunities are going to be uh, there to bring people to Christ. That's what I really want. That's spiritual maturity. It's never about earthly things and earthly blessings. I mean, God gives them to us. We're happy and thank you, Lord. But it's really about how I can serve God, how I can impact others for Him. See, the Word of God teaches us this. Let me just say this there's a lot of ignorant Christians out there. Okay. Much of the blame for this biblical ignorance, I think, lies at the door of the church itself. As many churches no longer teach God's Word in its entirety they just bounce around grabbing verses out of context and just making topical messages now a topical message is fine as long as the context is maintained as long as at some other point in the week a pastor might do something verse by verse uh there's a lot of very gifted topical teachers and i am not saying that they're wrong And I love to teach topically, but only in the context of expositional teaching. When I'm going verse by verse and I come to a topic that's right there, then I'll take a few weeks and develop it. But I always want you to see it in the whole context. Because a text without a context is a what? Pretext. Right. But much of the ignorance in the church today, I believe, uh, lies at the door of pastors who don't teach the bible in its entirety don't teach with any power and conviction because they don't really put too much stock in it they even live service but they don't think it's living and powerful they really don't because you look at their church bulletin and it's how many classes in this pop psychology and and this little new uh gimmick that's uh you know buzzing through the church and you know you, you can tell the church open up our bulletin what do you see One Bible study after another and in between prayer meetings. And people look at it and go, oh my gosh, this church is too biblical. Well, okay. Guilty as charged, man. Guilty as charged. Uh, You know, my wife will tell you she's been to retreats where she's spoken. And uh, most of the retreat was basket weaving and and, uh, crafts. And look, you come to one of our retreats, you're going to hear the word of God from morning till evening. The idea is to teach you to help you to grow, maybe break you in some area. It's not about a big social thing. And again, I'm not putting some of that down. It's okay to have some free time where you maybe do some fun things. But the bulk of it has to be spiritual in its, you know, focus. Look, only God's word is the power to transform a life. Only God's word is the power to transform a life. But sadly. Far too many churches have rejected that idea as foolish, archaic, naive, choosing rather to make the focus of their churches things like, listen, mysticism, also known as contemplative spirituality, materialism, word of faith churches, environmentalism, that's a big one. A lot of churches have gone green, okay? <laughs> social justice, that's a big one today. That's a hot one. Oh, our church is into social justice, which is Christianized socialism. That's just to name a few of the themes that dominate many pulpits in our country today. is it any wonder why the, the, the culture is so bad? If the church is the conscience of the nation, if the church is no longer walking in godliness, well, where's the conscience of the nation going to be? You know, you've all heard of Alex de Tocqueville. He is a French philosopher. Came to our country back, I think in the was it the early eighteen hundreds. think it was somewhere around there. You can go online. He wanted to find out what the secret of America's greatness was. And I wish I had the quote in front of me. I wasn't planning on saying it, but he traveled all over, and he studied our system of capitalism. He studied our natural resources. He looked everywhere, and he said it wasn't here. It wasn't here. It wasn't in her commodious harbors. It wasn't in the, 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 the fields of, of, of grain. It wasn't in the capitalist system. Then he said, I visited the, the churches of America, and I found the secret to America's greatness because I saw pulpits that were, he, these are his words, aflame with righteousness. When the church gets set on fire again, when pastors preach with that flaming righteousness, getting people back to the word of God, then you're going to start seeing revival. And God help us if we don't. God help us if we don't. I'll tell you, as we look around our country, we can see more and more Christians all over our country, all over the world, are saying things like our church isn't what it used to be. In fact, years ago, I heard the host of a Christian church Radio show, talk show, and uh, I think it was a she, and she had this program called Crosstalk. Okay, and um, she was um, bemoaning this very issue because she has people that you know would would call and would send letters in, and she decided to read some of them uh, on one of these shows, and so I'll just give you a little sampling of what we're talking about. Uh, so some of the letters that she had received on this subject. One of the letters said, "Our church is changing." Something's happening. Our church is moving away from a biblical, Christ-centered approach to ministry. The meaty sermons have disappeared, and we're, we're getting entertainment. Our small group is memorizing large portions of the purpose-driven life. Well, that's going back a few years. What, what's the, the current hot number one bestseller in Christian circles? Don't be memorizing passages from that, right? Our small group is memorizing large portions of the purpose-driven life instead of memorizing Scripture. Something's changing in our church. We can't put our finger on it, but it seems that our voices are being ignored. When we try to speak out in our small group, people, Christians, shout us down. We are viewed as Bible thumpers in our own church. End quote. Wow. And guys, these things are the very thing Paul prophesied was going to happen in the last days. The very things he said... um, would be fulfilled as we got closer to christ's return i'll just read to you out of second timothy four verses one to three where he told timothy timothy i charge you i charge you before the lord before god and the lord jesus christ preach the word now of course paul was a pastor an apostle also timothy was a young pastor timothy you preach the word be ready in season and out of season whether it's convenient or whether it's difficult even dangerous you preach the word of god convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine who's he talking about the world no the world has never endured sound doctrine he's talking about people in churches who profess to be christians we don't know their hearts The time will come when churchgoers will not endure sound doctrine. That's a Greek phrase that means healthy teaching from God's word. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear, basically. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. All right. To knowledge, he says, then you add self-control the word translated self control is a word that word that literally means holding oneself in that is restraining your natural fallen inclinations holding yourself back restraining yourself from doing what the flesh wants to do to walk in the spirit right the one author said and I quote uh, the word translated self control in the greek was used of athletes who sought self-discipline and self-restraint, even beating their bodies into submission. Read First Corinthians nine twenty-seven. They would also abstain from rich foods, wine, and sexual activity in order to focus all their strength and attention on their training regimen. It's amazing what man will do for his own glory, but he won't do for God's glory. You got people all over the world who will deny themselves certain things because they're in training to win prizes or to win trophies. But how few Christians will exercise the same self-control when it comes to serving God and doing it for His glory. You know, Paul in his letters often compared the Christian to an athlete. It's obvious, right? Paul was a a man's man. He loved athletics. He loved, uh, you know, sports. Uh, He would incorporate often into his letters, and uh, he often compared the Christian to an athlete who, listen, must exercise and discipline himself if he ever hopes to compete and win the prize. I think I will have you turn to these. First Corinthians 9, I will read to you out of the NLT 2nd edition because I think it just helps to get this, the language a little more current. Again, Paul likening the Christian to an athlete. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 24, he said, Don't you realize in a, that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. Yeah, a laurel wreath that turns brown in a few days and then is dead, you know, a couple more days after that. But they put in all that exercise and all that denying of self to win a prize that's going to perish. A laurel wreath fades away. But we do it, listen, for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified and be careful that you don't let the devil really nail you with this because a lot of christians think what paul is saying if i don't stay faithful if i don't keep serving the lord i'm going to be disqualified from heaven i'm going to lose my salvation he's saying i don't want to after i teach others to be disciplined and to use their life to live their lives in such a way that they're disciplined that they might receive a reward someday i don't want to be lax than myself that when i stand before the lord i have no reward not that I'm not going to lose my salvation, so you understand that, right? Philippians 3, in Philippians 3, starting with verse 14, again, using the metaphor of being in a race, Paul said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. If you disagree about what the Christian life is really all about, uh, it's pretty obvious, it's pretty simple and straightforward, but it's a life of self-denial. So it's, it's taking up your cross, denying yourself that you might live fully for God's glory. Well, that's a message today that's gone by the wayside in a lot of churches I told you about the church. Real story, true story about a young pastor came in, took over this congregation. Well, the worship leader, that Sunday had prepared some worship music and several of the songs talked about the blood of Christ and the cross. After the service, this pastor went up to this worship leader and said, if you ever play songs like those again, I will fire you. We're going to get past all that negative stuff. We're going to keep things positive around here. So the cross, doesn't the Bible say talk about those who despise the cross? That they are not really servants of God? It's through the cross that we we're saved. It's through the blood of Christ that our sins were atoned for. You remove that from the message of the Christianity and all you got left is happy talk. If you take away dying to self, taking up your cross every day, following in Jesus' footsteps, if you remove all of that and just keep things positive, all you're left with is happy talk. A bunch of man-centered, feel-good baloney that doesn't help anybody walk with Christ may make you feel good at the moment you're sitting there as somebody's pastor stroking your ego or or giving you a fluff that you might feel good about yourself you walk out into the real world the devil who's out there like a roaring lion is going to have you for lunch because you have not learned what you need to learn to resist the devil that he might flee look there's a lot of things in God's word that step on my toes a lot of things But never, ever have I ever said, well, let's just take those out, and I won't focus on those. I want to read God's Word, and I I want all of it taught to me. The whole counsel of God, right? Because that's how we grow. Peter's going to make that very clear. I don't think we'll get to it tonight, Uh, but he'll make it very clear uh, as we go through this, that trials are absolutely essential if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, right? We looked at... um, well, back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. And the only way you're going to hold on to the progress or the growth you've already made in your walk with Christ is to stay faithful to what God is saying. It's not to, you know, go on vacation spiritually and retire and you know a lot of christians are retiring from what you're retiring from you want to retire from your job praise the lord now you get all day to serve god but no they're retiring from christianity from service basically been there done that let some other guy you know like david when he was like 55 years old had his new palace right says in the spring of the year when kings go out to battle what did david do stayed back in his new palace and sent Joab, his general, to fight the battles of the Lord. David should have been out in those trenches. He should have been out in those, on that field fighting God's battles. He retired. And, of course, that gave him a lot of free time. The old saying goes, idleness is the devil's what? Workshop. And so one night, walking on top of his new palace, looking down, he saw on the rooftop of a house below a beautiful woman bathing And she was beautiful, and David lusted after her, and he sent his servants and took her and laid with her. You know the story. It would never have happened if he had been where God wanted him to be. You want the devil to really work you over? Retire from the work of God. You stay faithful to what God has called you to do. And the older you get, usually the more time you have to serve God, because the kids are grown, you maybe are retired from your job. Now you've got all this quality time you can serve the Lord if you're healthy, right? And finally, First Timothy 4, verse 8. Paul said, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Paul loves sports, but he said, look, physical exercise, training, that, that, that's good for some things, but training yourself to be godly, that's good for everything. In fact, the same word translated self-control in 2 Peter 1.6 was the same Greek word that Paul used. And it's only used twice in the New Testament uh, besides 2 Peter. But the same word used for self-control, 2 Peter 1.6, is the same word Paul used in Galatians 5.23 when he listed self-control as the fruit, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I believe, and we'll finish with this, okay? I believe... That the kind of self-control that Peter has in mind here can only come, now listen to me, don't miss this, can only come through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. In fact, it's listed as the fruit of the Spirit, right? There are, you know, in Galatians 5, there are the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Well, the works of the flesh, that's dead stuff, okay? But fruit is alive, and only God can give life, okay? Okay? We can take life, we can't produce life. I mean, yeah, through conception, but even God has ordained that process, okay? The point is, if you want to have love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit, well, that only comes through the Holy Spirit living inside of you as you abide in Christ john 15 has a lot to say about that so i'll let you read that in your own but uh you know self-control is a fruit of our relationship with jesus bottom line who is the vine we are the branches again john 15 and uh, i believe that god's grace to be all that he wants us to be including bearing the fruit of the holy spirit comes as we abide in jesus the greek word for abide meno, could mean remain remain keep walking with christ keep in the word, okay? As you do that, in fact, uh, I think John in his first epistle talks about, uh, you know, how do you abide in Christ by abiding in his word. When we do that, when we have that heart, that mindset, we're pursuing like a Daniel, godliness and a life that honors God. Well, that's when the words of Paul in Philippians 2 verse 13 will become a reality in our lives. Let me read it to you. For God is working in you giving you the desire, to listen, and the power to do what pleases Him. What's implied is us abiding in Christ, having a heart to be obedient to God. Remember, the power to be all God wants us to be can only come from Him. It's not hard work and self-effort on our part. Listen, no matter how determined or sincere we might be, this is one of the great fallacies in the church today one of the reasons why so many christians who want to be spiritual are still so carnal still wrestling with bad habits and areas of bondage like alcohol and drugs and cigarettes and all that it's it's the reason though that although they want so badly to be free and to walk in freedom and victory, but have not yet achieved it's because they have bought into the lie that to be all that Christ wants you to be, you have to try really hard. You must desire with all your heart, but the power can only come from God. When I am weak, what? Then I am strong. When I come to the end of myself, when I stop trying to do in the flesh what only God can do in the Spirit, which is live his life through me, by faith, Galatians 2.20, that's when I'm going to start experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, the victory of the Spirit, and every other wonderful God-given grace and gift and virtue I desire but can't achieve because I'm trying in the energy of my flesh to do and be what only God can do and cause me to be in the power of his holy spirit the life that i now live paul said i live by faith in the son of god who loves me and gave himself for me jesus has to live his life through me i can't do it all right we'll leave it there and we'll pick it up next time and i'm spending a little extra time on this section because peter goes on to give us some pretty powerful admonitions as to why what he has just said is so important And I want to just look at it uh, under a microscope because I think it's the only way we're going to really grow through what he's saying. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word, of course, is truth, all of it, Lord, in its entirety. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us every day of our lives. And if we will desire to be what you want us to be, you will give to us the power to be all that you want us to be. Give us grace to draw close to our Savior, Lord and to read the word as if we're reading about Jesus from cover to cover, that you'll give us the grace, Lord, to apply, and that we might walk in the Spirit. Father, we thank you. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.